the only tool missing from your belt. Simpro, total business software for the trades. When you choose Simpro, you get the digital power tools of the trades that make work, work. Founded by trades, for the trades. Simpro is your solution for scheduling, quoting, inventory tracking, and easy workflow management that grows with you. Join more than 200,000 users worldwide who trust Simpro to help them run and grow their business. We're here for you, so let's get to work. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Azial Security Insider podcast. And our guest today is Vlado Damjanovsky, author, inventor, CCTV expert, public speaker, teacher. Uh, I feel like I need to throw in lion tamer and all sorts of other things there, Vlado. You've uh, you've had a long and illustrious career, recently a winner of uh, a number of security industry awards. So... Maybe you can start by giving the people listening to this a little bit of background about who you are and what you do, because some people will know you from your book, uh, mm. From Intelligent Light to Pixels, uh, yeah. and other people will know you from perhaps CCTV Focus, your old magazine. Uh, some people might know you from the uh, Vidilabs training courses that you've done. So give us a bit of background. Yeah, sure, of course. First and foremost, thank you for the invitation, John. It's always interesting to talk to you and to the listeners via your podcast. Um, well, my name is Vlado Damianowski. I've been in the industry for quite a long time. Uh, as you said, probably most people would know me through my five published books, the fifth one being actually published by Asiel uh, last year. And... Um, my trainings uh, basically worldwide based on the based on the books um i'm currently in adelaide and actually work at the moment for optic security um but still that um, that is uh, staying close to real projects and having hands on on whatever is happening so i always want to have a practical a practical experience upgraded um the maybe the the starting point for this conversation could be the the need for the fifth book um, people would know that my first book was literally about 20 years ago uh in and uh, actually 30 years ago my apologies 1993 was the first so-called white book and um, every new edition that came after that basically was following the technology uh, development evolution as you would know, and most of the listeners would know, there are so many things that uh, are technologically advancing our industry, but they're changing so quickly that sometimes it is difficult to follow uh, and understand why. what is the key of the change, why is the change. And certainly even I had to learn certain things such as what the latest uh, the latest edition of the book really was covering mostly other than normal topics that we have, the AI and the artificial intelligence in CCTV. So uh, it's I highly recommend it, not because it's my book, but I really think it is it's concentrating uh, all the knowledge that one uh, technical-minded person should have. And I'm more than happy to maybe uh, throw in a few things as we discuss, uh, which will cover the a AI part of the book. Yeah, and I think it's an important area to discuss because we know that artificial intelligence is becoming an extremely important part of every industry moving forward, not just the security industry. In fact, I dare say that if there's a company out there these days that is not looking at some way of incorporating artificial intelligence into what they're doing, then they're not seriously considering the future. So as security managers as security systems integrators as security providers we need to understand more about what is the role of artificial intelligence and this is where you're here to help us because specifically with regard to the context of cctv what does ai look like in a cctv focus and and what will we be doing with it moving forward what can it do what can't it do how should we be using it uh, and those sorts of things so Perhaps let's start by looking at when did intelligent video content analytics, AI-based systems become attractive for the CCTV industry? Because we've had video analytics for a while now, but mm. there's a difference between analytics and artificial intelligence. 
Yes, that's exactly true. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, some some more mature, let's say, professionals would remember that in the past, in the very beginning of CCTV, uh, when became even when it was analog, but certainly in the period transitioning to digital, we had so-called intelligent motion detection or outdoor motion detection. These were kind of um, very advanced uh, uh, analog analytics of that time, which although some of them were successful, like we had a very good uh, example of Australian Adper and Vision Systems, they had fantastic outdoor motion detection, uh, which was quite a expensive unit, but very useful, especially in prisons, in uh, open objects where we wanted to protect from outdoor motion detection. And at that time, that was done kind of um, intelligently for the time, but there was nowhere near uh, the intelligence that we have today. And because of that, a lot of standard of the of the shelf, let's say systems, cameras, and VMD detectors were creating quite a lot of false alarms. People were uh, seeing you know, swaying trees in the wind or flickering uh, computer screens in a uh, in a office were triggering alarms, and that was difficult to suppress unless you already know what it is. And then if you block the area of where the tree is, then suddenly you're missing the important alarms. So these were creating a lot of uh, false alarms, which people were very quickly fed uh, fed up with, and they just simply turn off uh, the alarm at uh, the VMD. So in other words, kind of we failed, if you want, as an industry, because uh, we promised we will detect anything in, in order to find quickly, quickly what's happening. But actually, there was quite a lot of false alarms. So the difference now is, and there is a reason, which is obviously what one of my major researches for the latest edition was, why is this different? What is the difference? And actually, there is quite a logical and time-based uh, answer. Obviously, everything is connected with the computer industry developing, with the processors being faster, but also with the algorithms being more complex and more uh, uh, substantial. So in actual fact, uh, as a, a real uh, turning point is considered somewhere about 2010, 2012. And this is not very long ago, not even like 10 years ago. And this is when uh, a lot of universities started developing algorithms which they used in competition uh, with little robots. I don't know if you know Stanford University and places like that, they would say, okay, challenge you make your own little robot and then they are basically fighting, have to see through the cameras, where is the other opponent? The robots could be of any shape and form, could be a vehicle, could be somebody who looks like a, a Godzilla or I don't know what. But the point was that made students to develop algorithms that can first detect, that can see where the opponent is, then they can basically predict which way to go and so forth. So this kind of uh, kind of uh, student competitions uh, evolved into something where suddenly we had uh, algorithms developed that actually can simulate human brain neural networks in learning. And yep. if you have a lot of a lot of examples to learn from, then it's actually literally like, as I describe in my book, it's like a toddler learning to uh, understand the shape of Lego, which Lego goes where, if it is obviously square, can't go in a round hole and things like that, which is even without anybody there, just him thinking and trying things starts basically learning. So that's the similar process, if you want, simplified. Uh, but, with the but algorithms. To your example there for a second, though, because this is an important point to try and drill down on, I think. Mm -hmm. You said, you know, if you're a toddler learning to recognise that is the shape of Lego, but which Lego goes where? We've got two different concepts here because recognising that that is Lego, mm -hmm. this is machine learning. We're starting to recognise different shapes, different structures, different things. Knowing which Lego goes where is a different thing again. That's neural networks. So can you help people who are listening to this understand, mm -hmm. because this is oft confused, what mm -hmm. is the difference between machine learning and neural networks and why does that matter for artificial intelligence? Yeah, okay. Well, actually, that's a little bit more complex, if you want, or historically longer answer, but I'll try and, see, uh, and minimize it. Uh, artificial intelligence is a concept of AI. 
actually start being uh, talked about since 1950s. This is the time when computers started coming out as a possibility. Obviously, at that time, we were talking about mainframe computers and big things, not something we have at home today. However, a lot of um, philosophers, a lot of mathematicians were actually thinking of, uh, if we have now computers that can do certain algorithms, can we do can we have artificial intelligence tomorrow? So the idea started from 1950s and evolved in different mathematical, let's say, scientific works, science fiction, as we all know. Then somewhere about 1980s, which is where personal computers became uh, popular and people started wanting to have personal computers. With personal computers, a lot of things actually became possible for uh, helping the manufacturers helping in a, in, in a machine environment. This is where machine learning started. So machine learning is actually a subset of AI as a global concept. So machine learning was becoming possible when computers became available at a lower cost and people in a manufacturing plant can include something to determine what's the level of the bottle of Coke uh, uh, supposed to have. If it is lower, push it aside so it does doesn't go into the market with less volume than it's supposed to be. That's like machine learning. Now, uh, deep learning is a, a further subset. So it's further advancement of the machine learning and still within the concept of AI. But deep learning is the one that I mentioned is like algorithm that is using the neural networks in our brains to deduct and learn certain things. Once you learn it, you don't have to relearn it again. So let me explain it in a, maybe a, a different way. Um, the key point with deep learning is that it needs a number of uh, inferences, a number of uh, data set loading into, let's say, a powerful computer that actually tries to detect what does the dog look like? For example, if we want to find dogs, then you will, as a as a teacher of the of that algorithm, you are supposed to load thousands of images of dogs in different shapes, sizes, pixel count sizes, and you as a human know what it is, and you just say, yes, this is a dog, this is not a dog, this is a dog. So you literally go through thousands of these iterations, which take time. And the actual algorithm does a lot of number crunching to deduct from it, why is this, uh, the human told me this is a dog. And it extracts the so-called shapes, if you want, or vectors representing that dog. So once you finish with that uh, teaching, then the whole algorithm becomes very small in terms of bytes. Then if you load that in a camera or in a server, uh, which has that algorithm that learned what the dogs look like, you no longer need to have the thousands and thousands of pictures that were used to teach that uh, algorithm, but actually the small file size of vectors. I mean, you would know, you, you're doing a magazine printing and publishing, you know, a bitmap, like an yep. image, and yep. a, vector, a vector drawing. Yep. Bitmap is always bigger because every single pixel has to be described. Vector is actually like a formula, go from this point to this point, straight line, then turn left. This is kind of minimizing the amount of data you need, still describing the key thing, how does dog look like? Mm -hmm. So once you thought that, that algorithm becomes now object detector, detects object, so it knows, ah, oh, yeah, this is a dog. Yes, this is a cat. This is a human. This is a vehicle. This is a bicycle. Once you have all this, then suddenly that small code, because the learning previously used a lot of manpower or CPU or GPU power to extract that key, let's say, vectors of the objects, is loaded into the camera or is loaded into the server. And it's much easier and quicker for it to detect, ah, this is a person on the fly. So today with the computer speed, you actually can do it literally in a television frame. One twenty-fifth of a second is enough, not to just detect how many, uh, one dog in the picture, but all of the dogs in that picture, even though there might be hundreds of them. So this yep. is the advancement of, of that deep learning that produces this code. So to answer your other question, uh, how far uh, can this go? Uh, we obviously have 
quite a lot of things now developing and opening up in front of us as a, as a, uh, possibilities. But first thing is obviously we have so-called object classification. So the intelligence, whether it's in the camera or in the server or in the cloud, it actually says, okay, uh, I now detect here human going in this direction. What do you want me to do? So you now need to decide as an operator or as a uh, designer, okay, I want to count people going from left to right. And I want to make a statistic how many people are on the train platform, for example, and they are not supposed to be more than 100, maybe, you know, we need to do something about it. So these are uh, only classifying objects, but not more than that. So I think now the next stage might be, and actually some of them already started to do is, okay, can you predict if people start fighting, for example? And that's a little bit more difficult because yes, you can detect an object classified, this is a human on the left-hand side. There is another human there, but how do you define when they start fighting? So obviously there are many different now schools of thought and some of them do pose. So they extract, let's say the skeleton of a person. So if you make a sudden move with your hands, that could be that you try to hit somebody in the chin and that could be okay. Uh, I think they're starting a fight. Now, important thing here to say is for all intelligent AI that we have, the uh, AI is never and can never be 100% certain of what it sees and detects because it, it is based on thousands of examples and it is based on assumption these guys are going to fight. So you're always going to have something called uh, confidence. So it will say, okay, confidence 0.8 that these guys are fighting. So it means that maybe they are really fighting, but maybe you have to verify if that is true, if confidence is below, let's say, 0.5 or below 50%. And this is where human now need to still act. So in other words, AI cannot do the things for you without human intervention. But you kind of filter out uh, the one that are pretty certain these guys are fighting, pretty certain this is a dog there, and I need to find out how many Labrador dogs, they can even detect the, the species of the dog, the breed of the dog. Uh, but if it is below 60, well, okay, I better take now over. And with my own vision and the quality of the camera that I see, I can verify that is yes or not. And then you can use that to feed back into the inference and say, look, we missed this one, but this is actually really a dog. This is really a fight. And then that way, the intelligence of the algorithm becomes better as the time goes by. So that's right. the key thing, learning after that as well. So if I was to sort of try and frame that in a way that someone who is a lay person in this area like me might understand, we start with neural networks or, or deep learning, which basically says this is a thing. So we learn how to mm -hmm. classify objects. We say, that's a person, that's an, a zero versus a Q. So the algorithm classifies the object, don't yep. forget. So, that, so that's equation. the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Then if we take that into the realm of, say, uh, use an example like psychology, if I'm trying to detect someone has a particular condition, there's never one thing. It's always, you must exhibit these 10 or 15 different symptoms mm -hmm. in order for it to be classified as that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if we're talking about artificial intelligence, what we've got is we've now got a system where I can recognize here's a man, here's another man, or here's another person. Um, mm -hmm. And if they're doing this and this and this and this and this, so we've got multiple things on a list mm -hmm. that I learn to recognize. If they're doing all of these things together, mm -hmm. we then have a scenario, if this, then that. If I detect exactly. all of these things, then trigger that response. Exactly, exactly. And this is this is exactly a very good, simple explanation. But to, for you or for the algorithm to get to that point, this is correct, this is this, this is that, it, it has to be learned, uh, taught before, which is the inference yep. I spoke about. But then the importance is that it does it very quickly. This is why the computers are so important for us. It does so quickly that you don't need to think about that if you're a normal person, or if you are, let's say, uh, just to give a similar example, which is these days becoming very useful, uh, cancer treatment, let's say, yeah? You've got, a, let's say, breast cancer has got certain shape of the cells over there. 
which doctors know, experienced especially doctors, they have seen thousands of those and they know which one really converges to cancer. So now if you use the knowledge of the doctor and few more of doctors like him with experience, and then you feed thousands of these images through the inference, through the teaching of the algorithm, then you can be pretty sure that at the end of the day, the algorithm will be as good, if not better than the best doctor, because all of them collated all their knowledge. And that's exactly where we are getting the benefit of it. So one thing that I didn't mention in this history that I said 2010-12, somewhere, and this is like, if anybody's interested, I really suggest read chapter, uh, chapter 10 in my latest book. Uh, one key point where it switches to people really trusting, even scientific minds trusting the uh, AI, the deep learning, is that somewhere in about 2015, roughly, the error rate that uh, deep learning algorithms made were less than human error rate. What does that mean? Statistically, it is said that human error rate is about 5, 5.1%. What that mean in practical terms? Well, if I see a picture of, let's say I need to de determine, um, let's say Labrador dog somewhere in the picture. Now, if it is a big picture, I can say, yeah, this is definitely a Labrador. But if the pixel size of that Labrador is in distance of the camera, it's, I don't know, 50 meters of the camera, I can see a few little pixels, but yeah, that looks like dog, maybe a kangaroo, maybe a cat. I'm not 100% sure. And I go to certain distance where I can say, yeah, I'm pretty sure almost 100%, 90% that this is a Labrador. However, these now uh, algorithms start becoming, so this is up to about 5% in terms of how much you can recognize from human perspective. Now the algorithms using the same picture, okay, this is important, quickly, immediately determine the, uh, the, if that is a Labrador dog with better accuracy or less error rate than 5%. And that is the turning point. So this happened 2015. So if the picture is good, and this is, we are coming back to the basis of my, let's say, expertise, cameras, lenses, and whatever. Without having a good camera and good lens, uh, you're reducing the number of, let's say, confident detection of objects. So it's even more important today to understand that it's not just the algorithm. If you don't have a picture to feed the algorithm with or the camera, then you are not having the best results. So this yeah. error rate, if we are now putting on equal ground, humans seeing fantastic 4K video and being able to determine down to 5%, uh, uh, but the uh, algorithm does better, then we are saying, okay, well, you better give this video to the algorithm and you tell me how far, which of these uh, Labrador dogs, it will give you better results than human viewing manually slowly. This will do it in flash of a second. So to come back to your earlier example, if we were talking about two people engaged in a conflict and we're using artificial intelligence in a camera to determine and detect that, if the higher the number of pixels we have gives us greatest confidence or greater confidence that we can detect that accurately, then what happens when we start layering in other technologies on top of that? So for example, we have a high resolution camera that can give us a greater number of pixels that is able to detect, yes, there's two people there. And we can also detect that pushing is a kind of movement that is aggressive. But then we add in heat mapping, which shows, oh, okay, now their body temperature is starting to rise. We know that that's an indicator of aggression. And then we add in audio and we go, okay, we can hear the dB volume in the conversation is starting to rise, which gives us another point to say, we've got two people, we've got aggressive movement, we've got rise in mm. body temperature, we've got rise in decibels of conversation. Yeah, yeah. Now we're starting to see a greater number of indicators yes. for if that, then this. Is is yes, this the way yes. this works? Yes, absolutely. And again, this is like, if people want to go really to the, uh, you know, higher degree of accuracy, that's exactly what you do. You put a couple of uh, logics together. If this and that and that, then certainly this is a fight. 
Okay, so clearly, if you want to use the audio, yes, of course, you can add the audio to it, especially if it coincides the time of the raised voice of somebody swearing at somebody else, and at the same time, he raises his hand, then it's pretty, like, 90% sure they are going into fight. You don't want to confuse that with two old friends seeing each other after such a long time, and somebody, you know, spreads his arm, hey, where are you? And, they, you know, they may start raising the voice as well, being excited to see each other. You don't want to confuse that with them fighting. So certainly there is some, let's say, finesse over there. But the algorithms and the people that are teaching those algorithms are aware of those things. And they obviously go through many, many simulations. So uh, this, is, this is something also to be aware of by people that are interested in this. Because there is no way, sort of, as you call it, silver bullet, there's a solution for everything. But the more realistic examples you, you use to teach your algorithm, of course, the better the algorithm will be. Because if you think about it, like uh, recognizing, let's say, humans, most of the programmers would not necessarily take thousands and thousands of images and videos from real CCTV cameras to teach it. They would usually go on the internet, they will download something, they would use their mobile phone. They, none of them is the same perspective, the same angle of view, the same uh, depth, if you want, uh, like CCTV camera could be completely different. But if you use, let's say, non-relevant uh, video images to teach something that you apply into CCTV, you may not have such a successful uh, detection. So it all depends on the teaching costa. Then how good is the algorithm? I mean, there are a number of different algorithms now people use, I don't know, YOLOs, TensorFlows, and there are all sorts of uh, things that I've learned studying this, and everyone gets better and better. But you still have to have some kind of reference to use to teach it. And they go even to that degree now, uh, which is started, one of the first that started was Elon Musk with his autopilots. We all know that the autopilot of the Tesla cars is using nothing but visual cameras. Some others yeah. use LiDAR, where you've got you know infrared dots thrown away around the, the car so it knows uh, the depth of it. But because the uh, Elon Musk uh, graphic processors could not necessarily envisage every situation that might be dangerous to avoid it and to make the car break, they had to go and uh, develop their own like a game-like video footage where the appearance is pretty realistic because 3D gaming these days can create real effect like in real life almost. Then you, through that simulation, uh, artificial game-like uh, create a scenery of video, you create uh, a boy running after a ball in the middle of the road so that the algorithms can learn ah, this could be the speed of boy running after a ball in the middle of the road and I'm driving 100 kilometers an hour. What do I do? Well, obviously you have to instruct the system to brake as, as hard as you can, but you don't want to mix that with, miss that, mix, sorry, mix that boy and ball uh, with something else. So yep. the easiest and the best way is now to, if I can't take yep. an image, are yep. you there? Yep. If I can't take a real image to teach my algorithm, I will create this video sequence and not just one, hundreds and hundreds of them with realistic scenarios so I can teach the algorithm so that the algorithm will quickly decide in a split of second what I need to do. That's exactly the same what we have in CCTV, just uh, luckily we are not so much dependent on you know having to break immediately. We just need to bring information to the operator. These two guys are fighting on the platform. You need to do something, whatever your procedure is. Sure. So we're starting to see uh, deployments of CCTV in the security industry now already, but they're in situations where um, it's pretty simplistic. Like, for example, we have a hospital bed and we have a patient lying in a hospital bed. And we know that the patient's meant to be in the hospital bed. If the patient's lying on the floor next to the hospital bed, that's a pretty clear indication that something yes. is wrong. How intelligent might we expect these systems to get and in what sort of time frame? Is this something that's going to happen in the next year? Is it something that's going to happen in the next five years? And the reason I ask this is because 
over the last few decades, you've been able to predict with some degree of certainty, whether it be the transition to from analog cameras to IP cameras or from analog CCTV to IP CCTV systems, video analytics and so on. You could predict with some degree of certainty what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. I am finding now personally, and this might just be because I'm a card carrying moron, but you know, <laughs> I, it, 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 it's one of those things where these things are developing so quickly. I uh, cannot, so I cannot yeah. even begin to yeah. understand where yeah. this is going to be yeah. a year from yeah. now. No, you're absolutely correct, John. I mean, I have the same feeling. Don't feel that you are, you know, ignorant moron or anything. God forbid. I mean, this is definitely what's happening everywhere. I mean, yeah. don't forget, uh, we've had first the Moore's law, so-called, that every year, every two years is doubling the uh, processes, whatever. I mean, there is no end to it, and it is exponential growth. So how quickly will that develop to, to the next level? Well, we all know about the so-called generative AI, or AI, artificial intelligence, that generates text or generates images. It's amazing what it can generate, of course. Now you've got all sorts of uh, issues like copyrights and uh, privacies, and I don't know what in question. But for us in CCTV, I, I think the next thing logically will be to expect uh, improvement and perfection, perfection, perfectioning of the intended action that you don't want to happen, you know? So in other words, almost immediately predict somebody is getting into fight or perhaps maybe not so much that, maybe something that is typically, somebody tries to jump the fence. I mean, you can see a person walking uh, uh, along the fence on the other side, if you've got the camera looking there, but if somebody tries to jump the fence, so far we used to have fence detectors, if fence start vibrating, then you have to look, okay, you have to watch this guy. None of that needs to happen anymore. If, if somebody tries to jump, immediately it's got notification and what you do, it's obviously up to the procedures. So. I, I think it is at this stage, we are pretty mature with uh, uh, recognizing objects of interest. Maybe not all of them, but certainly humans, vehicles, we now even can detect what type of vehicle it is, not just what color. Is it a Honda? Is it a Tesla? Is it a Mercedes? If that is needed for some further action. But I think what is missing is, uh, and really this is where uh, operators can help. We need feedback from the potential users to tell us what is their biggest problem. Uh, because really, if you think about, oh yeah, we can object recognize people and, and, and so what. But they will tell you, for example, uh, we've got this train platform and there is a white line. We don't want people to cross that white line because obviously the train comes in there. Okay, that's a first nice, simple uh, suggestion. Then next one, well, we've got, let's say, airport exit lanes and um, people sometimes decide to go back and they are not supposed to because now they are in the, a different country. They can't go back if they're international flights. All these things which are simply are simple, uh, but the more uh, elaborate we have feedback from the actual users, the more the industry and developers can do to fit their requirements because all the elements are there we can quickly decide whether it's a person, whether it's fighting, whether somebody fallen on the floor, but we need further than that. It's not just, uh, you know, detecting object and this. I think it's the actions and events that somebody wants to prevent that if we can stop even, you know, one out in 10 that could be fatal for somebody, that will be a success in a way. But we need that feedback from the operators because sometimes, and actually the reason for this book that I mentioned and is, Operators have no idea what is possible, what not. And this is why the education is important. This is why this podcast is going to help at least somebody to start thinking about it. But I think the key would be if we as an industry talk to the uh, end users, okay, what is exactly that you would like to achieve to save you not just money, but lives to save you, I don't know, wasted uh, uh, liquid or, you know, you can do all these things that doesn't... The, they do not have to be, and I urge people to think out of the security industry. We've got now uh, uh, analytics that can tell you through thermal camera, what is the level of liquid inside a tank that has got, let's say, uh, gas. 
because yep. through the thermal camera you can detect the difference in temperatures and actually can show you without you having to open or maybe not gas because you wouldn't open the gas but let's say a liquid of some kind uh, they can predict and quickly warn you if there is flooding happening because yep. the camera is constantly looking at the rain and whatever but suddenly when you have flooding you have reflection algorithms are trained to do that and you can tell you oh look this looks like flooding coming literally one minute ago so you react on it not to mention fire I've, I've been playing and testing some things with ai to detect very early fire and smoke and believe it or not smoke can be detected and fire much earlier than you can do it with a smoke detector not to mention that outdoor you can't use smoke detector and you can yeah. do a lot of things through the through the cameras these days it just simply uh, people are still experimenting with different uh, ways of doing things, but certainly have to be. We have to consider uh, applications other than security, where AI can can help a lot. You know, it seems to me though that one of the biggest challenges for AI in security moving forward is that AI is about exponential learning. The more examples we see of something, the faster the the ability of those systems to learn and grow and get better and better and better. Absolutely. Yet in security, we're not inclined for a whole variety of reasons to share data. And that's correct. That is a good point. Yeah. And what I mean is let's say, let's take car parks, for example. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of cameras around Australia watching hundreds, if not thousands, of car parks. And in a car park, we're watching human behavior all day, every day. And so we can very, very quickly teach a CCTV system. And I'm making this example up, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But we can very quickly teach a CCTV system that if someone walks out a set of doors from a shopping center, they will usually walk straight to their car. There might be a deviation of, you know, X percent where they might walk to a, a car that looks similar to theirs once and realize it's not theirs and walk down a few. But if we see someone weaving through cars and moving to four or five cars before they get to a particular point, that's abnormal behavior. That's something that the operator should be notified of so that we can take action. Yeah. But I'm not going to share that data because how do I share that data without compromising what's going on in my yeah. security overlay? And that's a very good point. And actually, I don't think I've got a direct answer. But certainly, like I said before, the more examples you've got of something that you want to know about or prevent, the better the algorithm will learn. Which is where yeah. I said, like, uh, Elon Musk cannot obviously simulate kids being run over on in the middle of the road because obviously that you wouldn't do but then you get through these additional tools to do it now it would be nice if somehow the industry can perhaps develop some kind of let's say a bank of uh, events that can be pr protected vetoed to not go to anyone uh, other than for development purposes that may help a lot. Obviously, there's a lot of regulations that need to be put in place, but certainly real things, which means not just a real event, but also the real quality of the camera you have, the real angle of the camera that it has, which is pretty much, as you said, common, will help a lot. I mean, mind yeah. you, there are people, there are algorithms that can easily tell you loitering, for example. You know, there is an area, you, you highlight area, you, you draw an area and say, if somebody loiters there more than 10 seconds, 15 seconds, uh, that give me a notification so I can see what's happening. And that's that's done. But certainly, if it is a huge car park and you have to correlate all these things, uh, again, there are, there are interesting algorithms that every day I learn about new idea that somebody come up with. One of them is, for example, um, uh, find me this person. As long as you can describe it, it was a male, so it can recognize male, female, male with, I don't know, red shirt and, uh, you know, jeans uh, appeared nine o'clock and something happened by 10, 11. So it will come up with all the, all the cameras recording. It will run through that. It will, it will take maybe a couple of minutes, but it will run through all the recordings and bring up all the images of a person that closely uh, similar closely uh, looks like what the description was. And then it's very much quicker for you to find, or the operator to find what's happened. But uh, again, this is if people have such a system, which is 
available, let's say, these days. Tomorrow, there may be something even more powerful. But certainly examples, real case examples to learn from are very important. And if we can have something like you mentioned, I think that would be great. But at this stage, I also don't think that's possible because yep. of the privacy, because of you're not supposed to share the data and things like that. Okay. That makes it a bit more difficult. I'm mindful of the fact that we're getting sort of short on time for for what we're trying to convey. So I want to finish with two last questions that will hopefully help people listening to this take something away from it. I imagine one of the biggest challenges for security managers and facilities managers right now is they're faced with a fairly fundamental choice, which is, okay, I want to start looking at implementing AI in my CCTV system. Am I better off looking at AI in the camera, edge AI, or AI in the cloud? In in which scenario is that going to work better or are mm-hmm. they going to be different for different things or what's the what do I need to know? Yeah, of course there are there are pros and cons for both both aspects. And actually there's a third location. Obviously, the first location usually uh, would be uh, edge analytics in the camera itself. Uh, the second would be the server, the let's say computer NVR that records this can do that. In actual fact, you can have also the client workstation to do that and the cloud. So actually there are four locations if you want. Certainly, uh, as we said, uh, there is need for power for quick processing, especially if it is live, live event. Uh, typically, most computers these days have fast GPUs in addition to CPU and GPUs are much more number crunching capable so typically people will say okay if you want to do that you need a i don't know nvidia card of this type or whatever card you may want which will add to the normal recording daily routine that this and this is in the in the server now they will ask okay how many cameras do you want to analyze and what kind of analysis you say well my shopping center has for example 50 cameras i want 10 of them which are keep Okay, 10 means you need to have that many, blah, blah, blah. So that means you need to think about investment in processing power to be able to do it constantly on the fly, right? Now, if the analytics is at the camera, edge analytics, then you don't need to think about this as long as that edge analytics has the analytics that you want. A lot of cameras these days have inside the camera a certain number of analytics, which obviously object uh, detect and classify. Uh, you can do in there also like loitering, crossing lines, and you can de- configure the camera to do what you want. And the camera does the number crunching for, for its own. It doesn't worry about the other cameras, of course, but that camera is self-sufficient to, det- to determine what's happening and send the metadata to the recorder, bring it to the uh, 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 operator in uh, attention, and then he knows what to do. So there are cons. One is uh, it may be costly from the server point of view, but then you can put in there tomorrow uh, another analytics. You can I- expand it. If the camera is there, it's in the camera. So you may have to pay for the camera itself. Uh, typically, you pay for the camera a little bit extra. And usually, that's it. You don't need to pay anything. You still have the normal view, of course, mind you. The camera sees everything like a normal non-intelligent camera sees, providing it's got the same angle of view, same lens. Uh, but into the uh, when it, this is in the server, let's say, which is the most common thing uh, many people have, you have to have the processing power over there, and then you depend on the camera quality in order to do uh, successful detection. Now, of course, if you want to do it at the workstation, that means you really only relying on live things. You wouldn't do on the workstation playing back and going through the past time to find something. Typically that will be done if it is on the server. So in the background, you can analyze, you know, one week of recording to extract metadata of all the people with red shirts. So when you want to find it, you actually straight away can find it without having to go through the searching by the, by the algorithm. The last option is the cloud, which becomes very popular lately, simply because the cloud service, people will say, look, don't worry about processing power. Don't worry about edge analytics. We'll do all that for you. All you have to do is pay monthly fee or annual fee of something. Now, for some people, and especially for small uh, sites, that may work. 
as long as you've got, you have to be aware of, you need the bandwidth of what, how many cameras you're sending there constantly. Now, uh, 4G was fast, 5G is even faster if you've got coverage or even your NBN. But you still have to be aware that if you decide to go for that system, you have to constantly be feeding. For, for example, if you've got, let's say, a little system with, for example, 10 cameras, uh, typically two to four megabits per second per camera will give you very good picture quality, whether it's H.265 or H.264. If you've got 10 cameras times two, you need minimum 20 megabits per second, minimum, if you want all these 10 to go up. Now, don't forget, a lot of people uh, don't understand that internet connection is asymmetric, hence the name ADSL, which is Asymmetric Digital Subscriber Line, meaning you can always download more. You can download 100 megabits per second, but uploading Telstra Optus will limit you to whatever is the that you pay for. Typically, maybe 10, 20 megabits per second, maybe yep. 30. The point is you're limited with that if you want to go to the cloud. So don't forget you are constantly paying for the bandwidth you are using to stream. And then, of course, you are paying for the cloud service that does the analysis for you, which when it detects something, has to send you information and you react. Certainly, it could be a very useful solution for a lot of little, small houses, businesses, whatever. But the cloud at this stage, I st with, the, with the technologies it is today, I don't see to be a solution for larger systems and definitely not for defense government projects where you don't want to send anything anywhere you don't know where it goes. Yeah. Uh, but it is certainly something that I can see the whole internet is talking about this cloud uh, cloud services. Again, time will tell which one will prevail. Certainly it's possible to have this analytics in all four different locations as I mentioned. Yep. Okay, so let's finish up by asking you to put on your uh, your future gazing hat and get out your crystal ball and, <laughs> and, and tell us where you see this going. Well, as I said, uh, I would really like to see, maybe that will not be fulfilled as my wish, but i really like to see uh, the AI of a video or video content analytics to spread out to anything that can save human life, that can save expenditure of a company, that can prevent fire or early detect fire, uh, that can detect shark so that uh, there is no going to be, there are not going to be surface over there attacked by sharks. All that is possible and it's out of the security realm. In the security as such, where we are protecting properties and whatever, I think, I think as the operators get to know what is possible, they will help a lot and there will be a new, let's say, level of intelligence where you really need to learn how to read statistics that comes out to you as an operator. But I know also in a shopping centers, for example, I'm mentioning it all the time, but also airports and uh, railway stations and whatever, you can uh, really protect people's life. You can uh, improve the, let's say, time uh, tables of trains, um, increase people's faith in the CCTV. So my real wish is that people stop seeing CCTV as intrusion on their privacy, but rather see it as a helper to improve their lives to save their lives, to improve their manufacturing processes and save money along the way. And that way, they will feed back information and that will go even further uh, to a higher level, which will be nothing but improving the efficiency, productivity, uh, and again, saving lives. Yeah. Okay. Vlado, if people want to find your book, where do they go? Uh, the easiest is, and obviously the most uh, appropriate is, because Asiel is the uh, publisher. Even I have to buy the books from Asiel. <laughs> I've got one here. <laughs> uh, it's asiel.com.au forward slash VSS for video surveillance systems. When you type in asiel.com.au forward slash VSS, it will straight away take you to the page and you can get, um, you can order it physical copy or you can order uh, electronic copy. 
and you've got some training going on. Where do people find out about that? Well, at this stage, we are doing internal training with Optic Security. So I've developed some courses for Optic Security technicians throughout Australia and New Zealand. Uh, certainly more than happy to share our experience and knowledge. Obviously, this is again summarized uh, certain things from what is in my book, because the book is about 700 pages. So it's not really a small thing, but to uh, condense it and 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 uh, present it to in front of technical people just to know the key values, I think is sufficiently good. Um, again, I'm I'm happy to do some kind of uh, online uh, podcast, uh, perhaps online training if people want it. Asia would probably be the first link or yourself uh, to get in touch with. Uh, but at this stage, that's what's happening. So I'm I'm doing internal training for optic uh, security. And I think there's a very good feedback because now a lot of other non-technical people are getting interested in it, which is a good uh, compliment. So I, I try to keep it as interesting as possible, but also uh, challenging to think about things and learn the new stuff. Don't just accept them what the manufacturers or salespeople tell you. Go into learning what and how they do it, and they will make most of it. Fantastic. Well, look, Vlado, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you once again for your time. And uh, we look forward to seeing, uh, is there going to be a sixth iteration of the book or is <laughs> is this no, it? No, I think, no, look, I, it's a lot of work, John. And again, it's so much time people don't realize until they sit and do that. It's not only the text, but obviously the drawings, the photos, the examples, the formulas. I, I say now there is enough information there for a young person to start build upon and follow the technology as it comes in their lifetime. But I think I did pretty good for these 30 years and brought it to the last uh, technology with last year uh, edition. So I'm, I'm happy if people enjoy learning things from there. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for the invitation, John. Always a pleasure. And hello to everybody that listens. And uh, I hope uh, there are some answers that uh, the que some questions have been answered. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blurberry, uh, the Google Play Store, and all the other great places that you can find amazing podcasts. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day. The only tool missing from your belt. Simpro, total business software for the trades. When you choose Simpro, you get the digital power tools of the trades that make work, work. Founded by trades, for the trades. Simpro is your solution for scheduling, quoting, inventory tracking, and easy workflow management that grows with you. Join more than 200,000 users worldwide who trust Simpro to help them run and grow their business. We're here for you, so let's get to work.